So it occurred to me as I was uh, listening to that last reading that Amanda, uh, the minister, the clergy person at the Washington Ethical Society and I both share that we graduated from Wesley Theological Seminary. I'm starting with an anecdote from Wesley. What's important about this, what occurred to me about this as you were reading it, is this thing that the leader of one of the largest humanist congregations in the United States was trained at a Christian seminary. And that's fine with both her and the congregation. They've had an incredibly successful decade together. So I just want to bring that out as a, as a good story about how theological differences can, can grow and be something really wonderful. One of the things that happens at, uh, at Wesley Theological Seminary on the first day of classes, professors do two things. First, they announce that everyone who goes through seminary has a crisis of faith at some point, and that when that inevitably happens, students should come talk to them instead of doing anything rash. <laughs> Second, they assign students to groups of five people, chosen more or less at random, who become what they call your covenant group. Those groups meet weekly through the first year of seminary, and most continue through the years to come. In them, seminarians check in with each other, complain about classes, struggle with their readings, push each other's buttons, known and unknown, and work out what it means to be people of faith who are interacting with each other. Many of those groups spawn tight friendships, ones that last well after we've spread out from Washington, D.C. to Rhode Island to Nebraska. Each month, here at the Unitarian Church of Lincoln, we have a theme that we dig into through sermons and small groups. This month, we're talking about vision. Not literal sight, but all the ways we can see, how we can discern who we are and what we are called to do. The language of discernment is important for at least two reasons. First, as we'll talk about next week, while seeing literally, I suppose, is part of worship in a life of faith, all the senses are, simplifying that experience down to a literal sight oversimplifies the experience of faith. Second, though, this idea of discernment is core to who we are. We talked a little last week about a vision for shared ministry, how we might begin responding to the world. We'll spend time later this month talking about General Assembly last summer with its theme of all are called. And callings require discernment. That was one of the lessons at Wesley. We are all called, absolutely. We all have a still, small voice that whispers in our hearts but learning to hear that voice, boy, and then actually learning to heed what it says, that takes practice. And one of the best ways to do that practice 
is in small groups of people. The small group part of faith communities is important. Whether we're talking about seminary or in the parish, meeting in small groups does two things. First, discernment is not a solitary process, a solitary project. By this, I mean that the, the work of figuring out who we are and how we are to be, what Parker Palmer calls our inner teacher, that work is too big for any one person. Often, the still, small voice of the spirit comes not from our own thoughts, but the gentle question of a dear friend. Second, a whole church or seminary is too big to do the work of individual discernment well. That work requires dialogue, relationship, the ability to stop the person speaking and say, wait, wait, what you just said, that's really important. And what goes on in this room on Sunday morning can absolutely play a part of that, but it cannot take the place of those conversations. So let's take those things one at a time. This idea that discernment is not solitary can, can feel a little strange to us as Unitarian Universalists, right? We're the faith of Henry David Thoreau who went into the woods next to Walden Pond to ponder nature and write about the spiritual virtue of solitude. Never mind that Henry David paid somebody to do his laundry <laughs> and had frequent conversations during his time at Walden with his patron and sometimes landlord, Ralph Waldo Emerson. No, for us, the, the image of the solitary hermit considering the world and reaching conclusions is tempting. And there's truth in that image, to some degree. We center the right of conscience in our lives together. Your faith is yours and yours alone. I don't, nobody from this pulpit, gets to dictate what you believe. The ultimate answers to what we believe lie with each of us. We are each on a search for truth and meaning. But that search the principle goes, must be both true and responsible. One of the clearest ways to be responsible in our own religious beliefs is to hold them in the context of a religious community. When we search then, we do so not alone, but within earshot of other folks. Being in community with people that we know and trust who can look us in the eye and say, have you thought through the consequences of this thing that you say you believe? And who, when they ask us that, we listen to. People who can look at us as we describe a crisis we are going through and ask, where is your faith in all of this? When it's our own stuff, when we're trying to go it alone in a great Walden-like search for truth, we're too often caught up to be able to ask those questions of ourselves. It's also valuable to be the friend asking those questions, to practice the kind of open and honest questions, as Parker Palmer describes them, that open up space for the spirit in the midst of our often busy lives. 
This is the secret, such as it is, of why so many ministers love their jobs. We don't always have the answer, but we try really hard to have the right questions. And my goodness, can the answers be rewarding to everybody? So when we gather in small groups, we hold space for that kind of exchange. Our spiritual growth is helped by being with each other, by the give and take of questions asked honestly and with affection. We gather in small groups too because the whole church is too big for some of this work. I almost went to Michigan State University as an undergraduate. I was born in East Lansing. My parents were both Michigan State students. My grandfather was on faculty there. I grew up going to football games at Spartan Stadium. I can still recite the Michigan State University fight song from beginning to end. <laughs> Parenthetically, I spent most of my childhood trying to figure out why Spartans were always fighting with a vim and what a vim was. <laughs> Turns out they're fighting with vigor. Michigan State is a superb school with world-class lectures and faculty, and I went to a tiny liberal arts college in Maryland instead. And the deciding factor for that was visiting campuses. When I visited St. Mary's, one of the first stops on a campus tour was sitting in on a class. St. Mary's, despite its name, is a public university, and so the class was in a prefab trailer in a parking lot and then inside, Brad Park was teaching an ethics class with a group of about a dozen freshmen asking what jumped out to them from their reading that week. The give and take that happens in groups of 12 or less changes what is possible in a room, changes from a lecture hall to a conversation. Sermons are a conversation, in a way. They're each the result of dozens of conversations. They build off of each other, what's going on in the congregation and community. And as a form, they don't have a ton of that give and take built into them. There's not an opportunity to stop and ask a clarifying question as to what exactly the preacher meant by that statement that he just made. That's a necessity of this form. So there's a necessity, too, in churches for a third size, not an individual search, but also not the whole church together on a Sunday morning. A third way to think of faith, neither isolated pondering or the lecture hall style of Sunday morning, but give and take, honest questioning in groups of friends growing together in their own humanity, something that is larger than our individual searches, but more personal than this setting. Places of worship have been doing this a long time. Small groups, a dozen or fewer, learning and deepening with each other. They go by a whole lot of names. In more traditional contexts, this niche is often filled by Bible studies. At the Unitarian Church of Lincoln, though, 
we have open circles. Open circles are groups of Unitarian Universalists gathering monthly to deepen in their faith. That's the hope. You deepen in your faith through conversation and community. And what open circles are not is nearly as important as what they are. Open circles are not adult education. The purpose is not to learn things, although participants almost certainly do. We have adult education programs set up separately. Those are also really important. There is a sign up for them out there right after church. I'm going to be teaching adult education <laughs> classes this year, so I don't want to minimize the importance of that, but that's a separate thing. Education courses teach us. We learn from them. Open circles are about growing a soul, deepening your spirit rather than sharpening your intellect. Open circles, I hope, are not just a rehash of the sermon from week to week. Although we have spent some time in the last year connecting what the open circles talk about to monthly themes that are that we use in our worship services. So for instance, in October, next month, our monthly theme will be sanctuary. And sermons over the course of the month will explore the traditional role of churches in providing sanctuary for those in need, how we might respond to the current sanctuary movement, the tension between the church as a place of refuge and the calling to go out and be in the world. At the same time, Open circle groups will meet throughout the month to consider readings and questions about what sanctuary means in the lives of their members. Open circles function in many ways and provide different things to different people. For some, it's a chance to dig into their faith, to have time to deepen their spiritual journeys in a different way than we do on Sunday morning. For others, it's a chance to see old friends or meet new people. Some of our open circles are assigned more or less at random. Some are designed for a set of shared experiences. <laughs> our parents' open circle, for instance, <laughs> meets for a family meal before the kids go to childcare and the parents get some time together while the kids are in childcare. We're doing this service today intentionally at the start of the year because open circles are a really important part of this church. After the postlude, you'll have two opportunities. You'll have the opportunity to be able to walk out there and sign up for an open circle. Denise, waving her hand over there, will be sitting at a sign-up table. If you aren't sure yet if this is a format that will work for you, you're invited to go to the youth room right over there, where Larry Gregg, who has been leading Open Circles, waving over there, will be leading an example Open Circle if you want to see what it actually feels like to sit in one of these groups. And if you think you might want to join but aren't sure of your schedule yet, that's fine as well we'll have opportunities for you to sign up next Sunday. And lastly, 
If you go out, if you want to do this, but none of the times listed work for you, you can start your own. We will train you. We will support you in putting together new open circle groups. That group uh, in seminary, the covenant group, they were all at Stacy and I's wedding. We remain friends. It's neither the last or the first small group that I've been a part of. I don't meet with open circle groups here. Uh, it's really a different, that's for members talking to members. But I am part of a discernment group of first year, now second year ministers, excuse me, um, that meet once a month on video chat. We are from Nebraska, Massachusetts, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Berkeley, California. And it's one of the most important things I do every month. It's the one thing on my calendar that I, I don't miss. To be with peers, listening to what the Spirit says through each other. That is a rare gift and one that I hope we all have the chance to experience. Blessed be. Amen.